Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm reporting this on the 23rd day of September 2017 from the Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, I've gotten a few requests about this, so this is going to be a, a, a shorter episode than the one I did the other day. But hey, for fans of Sully Baseball who missed the daily format, I'm giving you a couple of podcasts a week now, so let's have a little bit of fun with this. I have, I believe, now a Cubs fan with an eight, who is one of my great fans, one of my great followers, will be the one to, oh, I don't know, confirm this, but I do believe that I am now going to do the final team that should have won. I do believe I've covered every team except the Chicago Cubs. The defending world champion Chicago Cubs who are looking more and more like they're going to at least defend their division title and go come back as the National League Central champs. And who knows, maybe they'll catch fire and beat a napping Dodgers team and beat a Nationals team and get back to the World Series like I predicted they would. Who knows? You don't know. I don't know. But last year they won. And for Cub fans, it was a moment of exultation. They were down three games to one. They blew the big lead in Game Seven. They had, they were on the verge of losing the World Series when they had they had faced um, Santana, Kipnis, and uh, Lindor in the bottom of the ninth. If one of them got a hold of an Aroldis Chapman pitch and knocked it into the stands, then the Indians would be the World Champs, and we'd still be talking about Billy Goats and visiting your parents' graves in Chicago. Now, Cubs did win the World Series. They deserved it. Last year, the Cubs were the best team in baseball. And last year, a lot of things fit into place. A lot of homegrown stars like Bryant, like Schwarber, were part of that team. A lot of players who were you know, kind of picked up as minor leaguers, and kind of shrewdly picked up in the rebuilding process, like Addison Russell, like Anthony Rizzo, and a nice combination of veterans like Arietta and John Lester were in their staff, along with Hendricks, and oh yeah, a piece of shit known as a Aroldis Chapman. It was a combination of homegrown players, veterans, and a superstar manager who cemented his Hall of Fame status as being one of the few managers to manage a team in both leagues to the World Series and did two things that seemed impossible when he took the job. He made a pennant winner out of the Tampa Bay Rays and made a world champion out of the Chicago Cubs. Slayed a ton of dragons along the way, including, let's not forget, defeating the Cardinals in a postseason series, sort of taking that monkey off the back, winning a pennant, winning a championship, and now Cub fans can be like Red Sox fans and be like, all right, we've had that happen. We don't have to ever wonder if that will happen again. And as I can attest by witnessing the 2004 World Championship with the Red Sox, that it made everything else prologue. I don't shudder when I see the 86 World Series or the Aaron Boone home run. There's still some things that are painful about some of that. I wish that Dwight Evans and Jim Rice had won world championships and everything like that. But at the same time, the heartache of those pitfalls made the championships even greater. 
And you can make the argument that the title in 2004 for the Red Sox would not have been as sweet if they had won in 86. Just like you can say the championship in 2016 would not have been so memorable for the Cubs had they won in one of those previous years. And that's, that's probably correct. And so you could say the joy and exaltation would have been lost had we had seen a Cubs celebration. But that's not what this is about. This is about the right combination of players and the right combination of people. And because of that, I'm finding myself truly conflicted between two Cub teams. And also based upon how I am personally doing this. Now, off the bat, when you think about the hardship with the Cubs, there are some teams that immediately come to mind. The 84 Cubs and the ball going through Leon Durham's legs. The 2003 Cubs blowing a three-game to one lead, which for some reason was blamed upon one poor schmuck in the stands reaching for a foul ball that basically did not affect the game but became the ire of fans. And I've said from the beginning the whole Steve Bartman saga, for lack of a better word, is one of the most disgraceful chapters in the history of baseball. You had the Cubs making back-to-back playoff appearances in the mid-2000s, or in 2007 and 2008, especially in 2008 when they had the best record in the National League and wound up getting swept by, at least on paper, an inferior Los Angeles team. There have been many moments of intense heartbreak for Chicago Cubs and their fans over the years. Some of it has been downright comical. Now, there are two teams that I've pointed to, and they're one of them, which I believe will be the team that will be the one I anoint as the team that should have won, is probably not one of the teams you're thinking of. And yet, in the spirit of this exercise, it just was clear as day. I kept looking and said, that must be the team that would have been the perfect Cubs team to win. Now, let's go over why I'm eliminating some of these Cubs teams. Why am I not picking, for example, the 2003 Chicago Cubs? Why would I not pick them? Why? I mean, if for nothing else, it would have relieved the pain of that poor schmuck uh, Bartman. But the 2003 Cubs, when you looked at them, they had Wood, they had Pryor, they had Zambrano, they had... Sosa and Alou, they had several other, you know, they had the, uh, who else was on that team? You had Matt Clement, you had Mark Ruth Zelanik, you had uh, uh, Corey Patterson was on that team. Surprise, Kenny Lofton was on a team that was in the postseason. You had Dusty Baker, and who knows what that would have meant if Dusty Baker had won a championship in Chicago. But also remember, this was far from the best Cub team of all time. This was an 88-win team. This was not uh, one of the classic win-loss records that the team has ever had. You know, there have been other teams, even in recent years, that have had better win-loss records than that particular squad. And they happened to beat a uh, a Braves team that had a better win-loss record, 
And the Marlins happened to topple the Giants, who had the best record in the National League that year. So it looked like the door was open slightly for the Cubs that year, even though it was, they actually, I bet you forgot this, they won more games the year afterwards. In 2004, they won 89 games. They won 88 games, the same total, in 2001, a year they didn't make the postseason. So, and the, and the main star of that team is Sammy Sosa. Now, I'm going to say something. I, the fact that Sammy Sosa is doing some weird things to his appearance now, he looks like Mr. Mixelplick from Superman at this point. God bless you if you get that reference. And his relationship with Cub fans ended really in a very sour note of him basically leaving the team and fans starting to boo him, which is amazing when you think of how he was just heads and shoulders the most popular player in the Cubs for a generation. People went to the stadium to watch Sammy Sosa. He represented everything good in baseball. His enthusiasm, his positivity. He made it infectious. When he was doing the home run chase along with grumpy Mark McGuire, I'm Mark McGuire, I'm grumpy, I'm this, I'm that. There's Sammy Sosa saying, hey, we're having fun. Let's have some fun. It was the first time baseball felt fun for a lot of people since the strike. And he was, you went to, set to the, the park to see Sammy Sosa run out to right field. People going crazy. He'd hit the big home, he hit big home runs in that series against the Marlins. It was fun to root for Sammy Sosa. Two years later, he's a bum. Get him out or we hate him. Isn't that incredible how fast his fall was? And with all the beloved Cub figures over the years, had that team won... And his fate ended the same way. Would that have been weird? Would that have been, oh man, I don't even know what to make of this. I'll tell you the answer is it would have been fine in a way. Red Sox fans had a similar relationship with Manny Ramirez. And the two championships won with Ramirez are no less sweet, even though he turned out to be a damn lunatic. But it was also far from the best Cubs team of all time. I would argue that the team that got swept in the postseason in 2008, won 97 games, was a better team. That Lou Pinella managed that team. But that also was a little bit of a strange club. Like, who was the beloved superstar on that team? That was a deep team. You had a lot of players on that team who were good. But was, is Alfonso Soriano or Kazuke Fukudome or Mark LaRosa... Are they considered to be all-time great Cubs? Mike Fontenot? I mean, their rotation was good. They had a good rotation of Lily, Dempster, Zambrano, Marquise. But it was hardly an all-time Cubs team. Now, one of the interesting things is when you look at the figures who have been Cub managers, it's like they keep bringing in star managers to try to bring the team over the top. They brought in Dusty Baker. They brought in Lou Pinella. Finally, Joe Madden was the one to pull it off. This was a Lou Pinella team, which was better than the sum of its parts when you look at the team itself. They didn't really have an MVP candidate, didn't really have a Cy Young candidate, and wound up winning 97 games. But who would have been the beloved Cub on that team? 
I'm actually serious about that. Kerry Wood, I suppose so. Maybe was that? Zambrano, was he a beloved cub or was he just a cub who was damn good that people liked? One of the points of this exercise is to find a team that has a combination of players that are beloved by the fan base. It would have been all time. I keep going back to the 78 Red Sox that had Rice, Lynn, Yastrzemski, Evans, Louis Tion, Bill Lee, Jerry Remy, Carlton Fisk, Butch Hobson, Rick Burleson, George Scott, all these all-time beloved Red Sox were on one team. It's one of the things that makes the 98 Yankees so worshipped by that team, by that fan base, is because it was the perfect combination of the Jeters, Rivera's, Posadas, Mariano Rivera, Bernie Williams, David Wells, Andy Pettit. All those players are all on that one team. So when they finally won, they like, yeah, there, there it is. They're all together winning there. And to see the Cubs team that finally wins it, hey, Mark DeRosa, yeah, Mike Fontenot, good players. But it was one of the weird things about some of the teams that do win, like the 2013 Red Sox. I love them, but it would have been weird if that team were the team that broke the curse and said, oh, Johnny Gomes, Shane Victorino, Stephen Drew, guys who weren't on the team last year and are going to be off the team next year. It would have been a weird championship. So that brings us to another team, which I'm sure some of you think is going to be the team I'm going to pick, and it's not the team I'm going to pick, which is the 84 Cubs, or as I like to call them, the Phillies. <laughs> Dallas Green and company broke the curse with the Phillies when they finally won, and it just looked like almost like so many of the, the, the Cubs of that team that won in 19, won the division in 1984 had Phillies ties to them. Even Ryan Sandberg was uh, originally a Phillies prospect. And Gary Matthews, Keith Moreland, you know, several of the pitchers, even Dallas Green, the manager, was the GM. There was a bunch of, there was a lot of crossover of players who were Phillies and Cubs at that time. And that, of course, was the year that the, they finally made it back to the postseason. Ryan Sandberg was the, the MVP. Uh, they brought in Rick Sutcliffe from the Indians. Uh, and he went on this unbelievable tear. They traded for Dennis Eckersley. It was the you know, Leon Durham became a star. Jody Davis had a solid year. Larry Boa, there, there's another Philly for you right there. Gary Matthews was uh, you know a star for the the Phillies the year before. He played quite well for that team. And you saw the team that was partially aided by the fact that they were on the Superstation WGN, so you saw a lot of, got a lot of Cub fandom from across the country. And this team, this very likable team, coming up and taking advantage of a weakened Phillies team and a not-quite-ready-to-win Mets team, and found that perfect window to get into the playoffs. And, of course, there was the anticipation for them to win the pennant and face the Tigers and be a good old-fashioned World Series with Wrigley Field and Tiger Stadium and showing the old clips when they played each other in 35 and 45 and 
you know, they, they, they didn't have lights yet at Wrigley. So what were you going to do during this game? Would they have to play them in Comiskey? Would they have to play day World Series games? It was a wonderful problem to have. And uh, it was, they came up with a very novel solution about World Series games with no lights being played in Wrigley, which was, well, the Padres will win the pennant. That was the solution, is blowing the two-game-to-none lead and San Diego winning the pennant. Therefore, San Diego has lights, so they can play it at night. That was the solution. That collapse by the Cubs was, was horrifying, and it introduced a whole new generation to Cub fandom being painful in 1984 and losing to San Diego, and San Diego wound up having their butts kicked in the World Series by Detroit, and that great matchup between Detroit and Chicago was lost. And I, that, I, that was one of the reasons why I was leaning towards that particular year, not just because they had some all-time great Cubs like Ryan Sandberg, beloved Cubs like uh, Rick Sutcliffe, uh, potential Hall of Famer in Lee Smith on that team. But also because we lost out on seeing the Tigers and the Cubs, Wrigley Field and Tigers Stadium, two old-fashioned stadiums, two old-fashioned teams, two old-fashioned uniforms, you know, just sort of clashing together and what would have been probably a terrific World Series that the Tigers probably would have won anyway. And that was one of the main reasons I was leaning towards that was not just because of the team, but because of the potential matchup in the World Series. Now, what I almost just said blanket was 1969. It's 1969 should have been the team that should have won. And the reason I almost blanket said that was because, well, I visited uh, Chicago when I was doing, a, a, when I, during my performing days, I did some shows in Chicago in the winter of 2003, the before they went on and had their great collapse of the NLCS. And I was there in, in January, freezing, freezing in January of 2003. And I went up to Wrigleyville. I had some time to kill before the show. So I went up to Wrigleyville, just sort of walked around in the snow. There's Wrigley covered in snow. And went in, I went into one of the local bars just to, you know, have some lunch. And they had pictures of the teams that had made the postseason, like basically little Cub shrines. And there's 84, 89, 1980, 1998, sorry, uh, that when they lost, they were a wildcard team, they got swept by the Braves. But that They had a little poster for that team. Uh, and at the time, that was the most recent team to make the postseason. But the biggest, biggest, like, altar for a Cub team was 1969. A team that went 92 and 70 did not make the postseason. It was the first year of divisional play. They absolutely collapsed down the stretch. But they had Fergie Jenkins, Hall of Famer, Ron Santo, Hall of Famer, Billy Williams, Hall of Famer, Ferguson Jenkins, Hall of Famer. They also had Leo DeRocher as the manager, Hall of Famer. They also had solid players like Bill Hands, Ken Holtzman. Don Kessinger, Randy Hundley, uh, Dick Selma, Glenn Beckert, and uh, you know Ted Abernathy. You know they were a good all-round team, and they had a good bullpen. 
as I just you know mentioned, Phil Regan, Abernathy. They had a wonderful rotation, Jenkins, Hands, and all of them, and they were filled with Hall of Famers. And I believe the fact that that team contended, and you had that combination of Banks, Santo, Williams, Jen- you know Fergie Jenkins, and all of them, made them a team that people looked upon as, my God, this is the greatest Cub team of all time. And when you consider that on September 2nd, 1969, they were in first place by five games. We're in September. They have a five-game lead over the Mets. And after that, they go 8-18 and the rest of the way. And the Mets go 23-7 and the rest of the way. They pass each other. And the Cubs, you know, not only do they not win the division, but they blow the five-game lead that they had in uh, that they had in September, and they wound up finishing the season eight games out of first place. And the Mets go on to win the World Series. And that combination of players made me think, wow, that was that would have been the ultimate. Cub team to win. But I stopped myself in two levels. First of all, because, oh, wait a minute, that was, they didn't even make the postseason. They collapsed. They actually, in the end, didn't even finish close. And the other thing was, I realized that these teams I'm picking, I'm bringing my own thought and own perception into it. I was born in 1972. I was not even a zygote in 1969. So when I look at it, I realize that these should be teams, if I'm coming up with these lists, these are teams that I should be able to attest and say, that's the team that should have won based on the emotion that I would be able to understand. It's like they're from my lifetime and my memory and also of a modern memory. I'm 45 years old. That's nearly half a damn century. So you're saying like, these are the teams of recent years, or at least of an acceptable amount of time, that should have won. And if the Cubs had won the World Series in 1969, and that was the only time they had won, okay, that's not as painful as 1908, or even 1948 with the Cleveland Indians, but that's still a hell of a long wait. A Cub fan my age in their mid-40s are going, am I ever going to see it in my lifetime? Or am I going to keep hearing about 1969 my whole life? And I realized that in terms of Hall of Famers and in terms of beloved players on a team, yeah, I could be an old baby boomer fart and prattle on about Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and all them, but there was another team filled with not only Hall of Famers, but all-time beloved Cubs on the heels of a postseason failure that became, in your pal Sully's humble opinion, the Cub team that should have won. What year am I referring to? I mentioned it briefly when I was talking about the, that bar in Wrigleyville. And they just had a little mention to them. But it would have been the team that if this team won... Cub fans would go, man, what a combination of perfect players to win the World Series. And I submit to you the 1989 
Chicago Cubs. The 89 Cubs took advantage of a Met team that was having an existential identity crisis, a Cardinal team that had injuries, and an Expos team that peaked too early to win the National League East. They went on to lose the NLCS to the San Francisco Giants in five games. Don Zimmer, who managed the 1978 Red Sox into the ground, made some, let's just call it, questionable decisions as manager of the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubs wound up losing the series in five games. People don't really remember that series because it doesn't have the down-to-the-last-game moment. It doesn't have the quick-to-point-out ball-through-the-legs-of- Leon Durham, Black Cat running across the field, or Bartman interfering with the, with the foul pop, but not really moment. It was a decisive four-game-to-one victory by a giant team that was you know, pretty evenly matched with the Cubs. And if that Cub team went on to the World Series, would they have beaten the A's? I don't know. No one thought the Reds were going to beat the A's no, in 1990. No one thought that the... Los Angeles Dodgers were going to beat the A's in 1988. I have no idea how the earthquake would have affected a series that was being played in Chicago. I don't know. You don't know. Let's move on. But the fact of the matter is, when you take a look at this team, the one player missing from this team that would have made it perfect would have been Lee Smith, who was playing for the Boston Red Sox at that time. But let's go over some of the players on that team. First of all, you have three Hall of Famers on that team. Three Hall of Famers who had success with the Cubs. Two of them won MVPs as a member of the Cubs. And one of them won a Cy Young Award as a member of the Cubs. You had Ryan Sandberg. Imagine Ryan Sandberg, world champion, jumping up and down, member of the Cubs. Hey! Is that Andre Dawson? That's Andre Dawson, who was the National League Most Valuable Player in 1987, just two years prior. You would have increased his legend, was that he joined the Cubs in 87, and by 89, they were world champions. Andre Dawson, how the hell are you? Who else do you have that team? You had Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox had his first great year that year and wound up being a world champion with the Braves. He was a Cy Young Award winner his final year of his first run with the Cubs. He wound up coming back to the Cubs after a little bit. But yeah, you have a World Series winner with three <laughs> Hall of Famers on the team. Two of them MVP, your relatively recent MVPs, and another relatively not that long after would win the Cy Young Award. Yeah, that'd be a team you look at as, okay, these aren't just veterans hanging on. These are still players who are outstanding players. Dawson had a down year that year, but no one would have remembered that because the narrative would have been he joined the Cubs in 89, they won the World Series. He joined the Cubs in 87, they won the World Series in 89. Ba-boom, ba-boom. Who else was there? You had, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Grace was on that team. Mark Grace was a great Cub. He was. He had some great years with the Cubs. And I know some people who, when the Diamondbacks won the World Series in 2001, they were Cub fans who were ecstatic 
because Mark Grace finally was able to get a World Series ring. That's the way it was. I remember that way for Red Sox fans, too, that you rooted for former members of your team to get a ring because you know you couldn't win it as a member of your team. Who else was on that team? Sean Dunstan was on that team. By all accounts, I've never met Sean Dunstan. I don't know him. You don't know him. From all accounts, seemed to be as respected and loved a player. It seems like a solid guy and everything like that, at least in terms of the way people talk about him. An all-star several times with the Cubs. Dynamic defensive shortstop with a lot of pop on his bat. He was on that team. Do you know who else was on that team? Hey, there's Rick Sutcliffe. He's still hanging around. Rick Sutcliffe, who won the Cy Young Award in 1984 with the Cubs and had, could have arguably won another one in 1987. Had a tremendous stretch with the Chicago Cubs, being part of that team that won the division in 84. Imagine if he was part of the team that won the World Series then. You had a bunch of young players like Dwight Smith and Jerome Walton who came up on the scene and played quite well. You had a bunch of steady veterans, whether it's Mitch Webster or Lloyd McClendon. Hey, is that young Joe Girardi on the team? Did he make starts in the playoffs? I believe it was. I believe it was. And you had, you know, you had a bunch of veterans on the club. You've had the likes of the Paul Ossenmachers and the Mike Bileckis and the Scott Sandersons of the world were all on the team. But Maddox, Sutcliffe, Dawson, Sandberg, Grace, Dunstan. That combination of players putting on their World Series rings. You didn't see me do this, but I raised my finger as if I was putting on a World Series ring. And to do it in 89, when there was still enough of the angst of 84 there, and it would have been the redemption of 84, for Zimmer would have been the redemption of 78, and you would have put together a team of all-time Cubs. I mean, for people of my generation, the people of the generation who have no memory of Banks, Williams, Jenkins, Dick Selman, all those Cubs, to them, the Cubs were Sandberg, were Dawson. And then you wonder how life could have evolved differently afterwards. Maddox said in his Hall of Fame speech that the reason he signed, the main reason he signed with the Atlanta Braves is he wanted a chance to win the World Series. And he jokingly said, sorry, Cub fans. Imagine if he did. Imagine if he did win a World Series. He was a world, young world champion as a member of the Chicago Cubs. How old was he in 1989? He was 23 years old. Through 238 innings that year, 119, had a ERA of 2.95, was already showing he was a dominant ace, was an all-star caliber pitcher. Imagine if with that and a world championship, said, hey, I'm a Cub for life. Imagine if all those great years he had at Atlanta, he was having as a member of the Chicago Cubs. Imagine the legacy of Sandberg, of Grace, of Dawson. Sutcliffe, all those players that they brought the championship home to Chicago. They're already loved. They're already revered. But they would have been gods. They would have been some of the biggest figures in Chicago sports history. Think about the Bears for a second. 
that Bears team that won just a couple years before. The I'm not going to pretend to be a football fan. I can't name everyone on that team. I remember the Fridge was on the team and McMahon and Walter Payton and Mike Singletary. I'm sure there's another a lot of people there on those teams or the that that one team that won that will still be you know biggest names in football history. I can't pull Ditka as the coach. Think of how worshipped they were for that one title. For that one title. And this was before Jordan turned the 1990s into his own personal plaything. It's funny, I, I don't always think of Jordan as a Chicago star, even though he played for the Chicago Bulls. I think of Jordan as being Jordan. He was almost bigger than the league. And of course, if I grew up in Chicago, I'd probably feel much differently. But that's just kind of how I, I think of it. But when you think about the time that that would have been, you had some, you know, the White Sox had made the playoffs in the 80s. The Cubs had made the playoffs in the 80s. They fell short. Jordan was still considered the biggest star in basketball, but the Bulls weren't good enough to win it all. They weren't better than the Celtics. They weren't better than the Lakers. They weren't better than the Pistons. Think about the hero worship that the championship team with Rhino, Hawk, Maddox, Sutcliffe, Grace, all of them. I bet you didn't think of that team. Because it isn't reversing a great sin. It isn't reversing a moment of the curse. There was no moment of the curse. The Giants just beat them. The Giants played better than them. Yes, there, there was a, the Cubs blew a lead in game five, games three. All the games in San Francisco were competitive. And late hits wound up being the the bugaboo, but there wasn't a big error. There wasn't a you know no one slipped on a banana peel. And so '89 doesn't get the same attention as the other years. But with that being said, that was the team that should have won. So Cub fans with eight and all the other Cub fans out there, give it some thought. The '89 team. So. I think I covered them all. I'll review them later. Uh, I'm going to be doing a bunch of more podcasts next week. I hope you like this little bonus episode right now. So go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talk about the Cubs team that should have won. This has been a Sully Baseball podcast for the 23rd day of September 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.